Good morning. Thanks, Michael Ann. I'm okay with fireworks in here. I mean, Howard's gone. He would never, you know, I don't think anybody here would ever tell him. And you don't want your job that bad, do you? I don't know. <laughs> so a young man was in trouble. He'd never really considered the claims of the Bible. He'd kind of done his own thing and had gone pretty well, and then he hit a wall. His life was falling apart. He needed direction. Never opened a Bible before. So he prayed for the first time. Lord, I need help. I need you to help me make a decision. Show me what to do. I'm just going to open this book, and wherever, wherever my finger lands, whatever you say, I'm going to do. And he opened the Bible and put his finger down and said, and then Judas Iscariot went and hung himself. Well, Lord, um, let me try that again. Let's just one more time. Maybe I wouldn't hear you clearly. Show me what to do. Go you and do likewise. Well, I'm going to give it one more try. I'm going to just see what the Bible says here. And last time it says, and what you're going to do, do quickly. So the most dangerous thing, I I don't don't want to preach this sermon. I love to preach. I have sweat blood over this sermon. Because taken out of context, this is nitrogen. This this uh, This is nitroglycerin. This is dangerous stuff. These are landmines that we're about to talk about. It is so easy to take things out of Scripture uh, and take them out of context and abuse them. For example, do you know that the Bible says that there is no God? If you're an atheist and you wanted to say what the Bible, the Bible actually states there is no God. Now, if you go to Psalm 41, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You, You see the danger there. The Bible says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, when my daughter was in high school, I was all about that verse. I never would use that verse with my wife ever. I wouldn't use that verse. The Bible can be so misused. There's actually a place we're told in the Bible that we can, we can handle poisonous venomous snakes and that we can drink poison. One of my wife's favorite songs is by Kenny Chesney. It says, you know, praise the Lord and pass me a copperhead. You know, is that good theology? It's good music. We can use the Bible to, we can misuse the Bible to say whatever we want and, and pick and choose and cut and paste. Um, for example, you know, the scripture says, um, you know, a little wine is good for the stomach and wine makes glad the heart of man. The Catholics and Episcopalians and Presbyterians are going, woo, woo, all right. But then over here it says, wine is a mockery and a brawler. The Baptists are like, told you so, right? Or the, you know, you read Paul in Philippians, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And all the free will Arminians are going, ha, ha, ha. But the rest of that verse says, it's God who's at work to will and work for his good pleasure. And all the Calvinists are going, in your face. You can go back and forth. And that's a danger with this dynamite scripture here, is that it has been abused and has been neglected and written off because it's such a struggle. Uh, do I sound like one of those drug pharmaceutical commercials that spend the last 15 minutes talking about all the disclaimers of all the side effects? You know, side effects include loss of hair, bad breath, loss of wife, bleeding from the eyes, forfeit of your house kind of disclaimer. Well, that's how I feel going into this. This is a tough one because we're going to talk about two landmines that today in our culture are very explosive and, and, and can be very dangerous. So uh, let's pray for wisdom. Father, your word is truth, so we're not afraid of that. But we bring our baggage, we bring our perhaps background, history where this has been abused. We bring history, we bring our sexuality, we bring our ethnicity into a very loaded subject. Give us wisdom to set aside all those prejudices and hear from you. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. I bet you guys are wondering what we're going to preach on now. We've been looking at Colossians. 
The book of Col- the letter to Colossae, Paul's letter, and the first two chapters are just, they're, they're, they're intellectual. They're thinking theology. The first chapter is Christ is before all things. In him, all things hold together. Christ is preeminent. There's no other God. There's no other religion. Jesus is all in all, and there's no one besides Jesus. Good centrality of Jesus Christ. And then Paul says to think that way and to be a new person in Christ because he has given us a new life if we're believers. That's all head knowledge. That's all good thinking. But good theology, as we've said, it leads to good lifestyle. Good thinking leads to good doing. And now the next couple of chapters are just practical stuff. Not this high and holy, you know, philosophical, theological, what do I do? Where do I live this out? Because if we don't live it out, folks, we're wasting our time. Go ahead and go to Taco Joe's and go golfing. We're wasting our time. Unless we can apply, where do we do, how do, what does this look like to be a new person? And Paul gives us three areas to do that. Let's look at the scriptures and, and talk about those three areas. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 4 1. Page 1252 in your pew Bible. Colossians, the Paul's letter to Colossae. Listen for the landmines and think about your, the buttons that it pushes in you. <clears throat> Listen to Paul. Wives, submit to your husbands. Uh-oh, <laughs> boom. What? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, what? Slaves, bond servants, whoa. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing of the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Ah, here it is. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Believe it or not, this is the word of the Lord. That's what you say. Is that true on this? This is tough. Paul is saying, you talk about knowing Jesus, you believe in Jesus, and you're a new person in Christ, here's where it matters the most. Not on how much Bible you know, or how much theology, or how much you go to church, or you go on mission trips, or you give money, or all this good stuff that you do. Here's where it matters. These three areas of life are the most impacting and, dis- and dis- difficult places to be a new person in Christ, in our marriage, in our family, in our workplace. This is where we can change the world or lose the world. In these three areas, let's talk about marriage first. And I want to really be thoughtful of the people that aren't married or single or widowed or divorced. Let you know I've been that way. I was, I've been single 43 years of my life. So I've been single more than I've been married. But let's look at this bombshell. I mean, right off the, if you just start with that one, you're going to have a reaction. Wives, submit to your husbands. Submit, ah, you know, the Me Too movement, the feminist movement, you know, the U.S. women's soccer team is getting paid less than the men. This is a hot potato, folks. We can't ignore it. It's been abused historically by men and been neglected by people who want to do away with Paul. You can't do away with Paul. Here's why. Paul was chosen by Christ. Christ appeared to him and created, made him the, the 12th apostle after Judas left. 
Paul is speaking directly to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has given, this is as inspired as Genesis or the words of Jesus. We can't just say Paul's a homophobe, a misogynist, a chauvinist, a a middle century man. He's no longer relevant. You can't do that and do good biblical exegesis or you're denying some things. But nor can we misuse the scripture for our own good. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. My wife and I love sushi. And when you get a sushi, you get this little dollop of green stuff. What is that green stuff called? Wasabi. This stuff is potent, man. You take one bite of that, your hair's on fire, your nose is light. You're like, whoa! But if you take it and you blend it and you mix it with soy sauce, it's a perfect addition to your food. This verse is wasabi. Wives, submit to your husband. That's just powerful. But if we take it in context of Scripture and the, in the context of the whole Bible and the rest of what God says, it makes sense. It doesn't have to be offensive. Let's look at Paul's first mention of this in marriage. Back to Ephesians. He's really referring back to Ephesians 5, 21 through 29. It's up here. Paul does a great job of talking about this balance, this reciprocal relationship, not this one headsmanship, tyranny, man over wife type thing. He gives us the biblical balance. And by the way, Sometimes we start there. Sometimes the scripture, just so you know, historically, the Bible was not given to us originally. The scriptures didn't have chapters and verses. That came later through some people hopefully got, we believe God used to break chapter and to break verse. But sometimes they just kind of off. And that's true with uh, Ephesians 5. Really, this sentence should be an ongoing sentence. It should, uh, the, the first part, 21, should just flow right into the next because look at where it starts. It doesn't start with wives. Look at the context. It's folded into this. Here's the first thing Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Start there. Not you submit, you submit. Submit to each other. Let's start with that. We all should be submitting to one another. And it should be an ongoing sentence. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife. And then husbands, love your wives. That's all together. So understand, first of all, the higher calling is that we submit to one another as we submit to Christ. This word submit, oh man, it's a loaded word, isn't it? It's like evangelical. It's like, it, 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 it's a heavy word. Maybe the better Greek there, not trying to pull back from the strong strength of the scripture, is subject, is rever. When it says wives, submit yourselves, the word there is subject, honor, respect, elevate. That, that changes that feeling a little bit. There's no lesser, but here's the rest of the story. First, we submit. Let me understand what that means, to submit to your wives. But the women actually have the easier role. Okay, I, I, you know, Lord, I understand. I'm equal. You've made me an equal. This is the husband you've given me. How can I love him best? How can I serve you? But guess who has the harder job? Gentlemen, if you take that verse away, you're missing the whole part. It doesn't stand by itself. The connection, just as we're connected in marriage, is with the husband's role. Look, for the husband is the head of the wife as, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, wives submit to their husbands. Paul's saying Jesus is not less than God the Father. Jesus is equal to God the Father. But guess what? Jesus has a role where he serves under the fatherhood. Ah, but guess what, gentlemen? 
Here's the challenge for us. It only says wives submit twice. It says three or four times. Husbands, look at this. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Wives, okay, yeah, submit, respect. Then he goes on for paragraphs. Gentlemen, guess what your job is? Die for her. Lay it down for her. Love her so much that she doesn't question your authority because she trusts that you care more about her than yourself. That is the chuff. He says that we are to love our wives like Christ loved the church, and that killed him. He was willing to die for her, who has a tougher job. And gentlemen, if our wives know that we're at least trying to do that, there won't be this power issue. There won't be this, I'm not being, there will be a trust and a love and security, because they know we care more about them than ourselves. We've failed that. We don't use, if you ever have to come to your wife, and ever have to come to my wife and say, uh, this morning, you missed a few things. Let's go back to what Paul says here. I'm a dead man. First of all, a stupid man. But you never have to say that. You should never have to say that and use that because that wasn't the intent. If we're loving Christ, if we're loving our wives like Christ loved the church, that won't be the issue. Gentlemen, are we dying for Christ and then willing to die for our lives? That's a, that's a tough one. Any of you grow up with a rock tumbler? Everybody know what a rock tumbler is? Any of you grew up like any rock hounds in here? We used to go to, my, my, parents, my family, we'd go to Colorado, and we'd stock up the rock shops, and we'd buy these ugly rocks. And then my dad bought us a rock tumbler. And my brother and I'd take it home, and we'd get these kind of ugly-looking rocks, and we'd put them in there, and then we'd put solution in there. Sarah told me that now, today, they have different grades of sand you put in there. And what happens when they get in that tumbler? These rocks roll, and they start rubbing against each other. Sound like your marriage? You know? (laughs) Does it sound familiar? It should. And guess what happens in Scripture? Guess what happens at the end of that long process? Sometimes I just remember hearing in the garage for days and days, that tumbling. But when you finally reach in there and there's a beautiful, polished, gorgeous stone in its true nature, very, very valuable. That's what marriage is like, folks. And the world has lied to us and distorted. That's what a godly marriage is like. We don't get married to make each other happy. We don't get married because you're going to, you know, by the way, if you're single, guess what? You're complete in Christ. If you're single, none of this, oh, there's my better half. That's a sweet thing to say. It's not biblical. You're not a half if you're not married. You're complete in Jesus Christ. He will make her. He's your husband. He's your father. He's your lover. If you're divorced, if you're widowed, you're, Paul says that's a gift. Celebrate for a time. But you're not, you know, you, nobody completes you. Jesus completes you. Just so you understand if you don't have the gift of marriage. But if you do, the goal is not for your wife to meet your needs. The goal is not for your husband to meet your needs. The goal is that God uses these two sinners together in the Holy Spirit sealed marriage to make us what Christ intended us to be like. That's good news. And that's hard work. And the world doesn't like it. Listen to what John Stott says about this idea of what a biblical marriage looks like. He says this, Jesus' love 
and self-sacrifice for the church, his bride, were positive and purposes, uh, purposive, namely to free her from all defects and display her in her full glory. Is that your goal for your wife? To help her be the most amazing woman that God intended her to be and not get in the way, but be a part of that? Selfless, self-giving by both husband and wife is the foundation and enduring of an enduring and growing marriage. Another disclaimer, I failed at this. I, my first marriage, I was horrible at this and lost a marriage and it hurt my kids. And God has given me another chance. But here's the thing. When we're ready to lay down and submit to Christ first, we can love each other fairly. Our goal is to walk towards the throne together, not someone behind me or someone ahead, but together to walk towards the throne together, serving one another. How much do I love my wife? As much as Christ did, he died for her. Gentlemen, is your wife your bride? Ladies, is this your bridegroom? Do you see him the way Christ sees the church? That's the challenge, nothing less. How do you talk about your wives around other guys? How do you talk about towards your wife when you're out with other couples? Put down, dishing, negative. How do you talk to your wife at home, gentlemen? Like we died for her? There's a Randy Travis song that says, forever and ever, and it says, old men sit on the porch and talk about the weather. Old women sit on the porch and talk about old men. What are we saying? What do you say to your husband? What do you say to other women and your friends about your husband? Are we dying to self and lifting them up? My friend and I, Brian Kelleher, have come upon a book. It's from the movie Fireproof. I just want to encourage you, if you're struggling with this, because because the Bible never says, if you feel like it, do it. It just says, do it, and then, then the feelings will come. It's called the 40-day. If you do your whole day diet and you do all these other, you're running marathons and taking the right medicine, all this stuff, Paul says the best thing for you is to love your wife, gentlemen. That's, that's how you love your own self and your body. It's called the 40-day challenge. It gives you 40 things to do every day to just love your wife. Guess what the first one is? Spend 24 hours never say, to not saying a negative thing to your spouse. Is that a challenge for us? It's a good challenge. Then let's go on. That's the tough one. The second one, to submit to Christ in the family. Look at Colossians 3, 20 and 21. Got to move fast here. That's a, that's a tough one there. Look at what he says. Children, by the way, you can't write Paul off. He's the first one to address women in this culture. If anyone says that Paul is out of touch, they don't know. Paul gives women equality for the first time in history. He sees them as equals. If someone says that Christianity is misogynist and is, is sexist, they don't know the scripture. Paul's not. And then he, the first one to talk to children. Children were just property. Children were just an asset. He gives children value here, like Christ did. Children, this is pretty simple. Obey your parents in everything. This pleases the Lord. Young folks, people who want to follow Jesus. Yeah, I'm not going to drink. Great. Yeah, I'm not going to do weed or vape. I'm not going to ruin my sex life. I'm going to, I'm going to do all these good things. That's all good. But we don't want to be just about that. If we just told you what not to do, we're missing. Here's, what you, here's the positive thing. Better than anything you can do for yourself is to love and honor your parents. I don't care if they're believers. I don't care if they're bad parents or good parents. When you love your parents, life goes well. The scripture says this will please the Lord. How do I please the Lord? Do I go to church more? Do I go to camp? Do I go to Canica? Do I go to Hidden Falls? Do I go to Young Life Camp? No, love your parents and it will go well for you. Even if you can't stand them, love them. It'll get better. It'll get better. You want to live a long life? In the Ten Commandments, the only commandment of the promise, love your parents. 
God gave them to you. They're a gift, good or bad. God put them in your, in your life for a reason. But now dads, guess what? It says fathers. It doesn't say mothers. You know why it doesn't say mothers? Mothers just naturally, they just get it. Story gave mother love emotionally. It's just maternal. It's not, it's not, it's not natural for men. We've got we to provide. We've got to be significant. We've got to amass. We've got to take care of our family. And we forget. Don't exasperate your children. That word actually there in, in the Greek, some say provoke, exasperate. It says don't overcorrect. Don't be all about the rules and the guidelines and the, 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 the standards and forget to love them. Don't be about rules and religion and forget the relationship. Don't make it all about, well, you know, if you, you know, they have to be the valedictorian or, or graduate from high school or college or, or not drink or smoke. Oh, that's good. But if you don't tell them, if they don't know you love them, none of that will matter. Gentlemen, do our kids know that we love them? They need that love, but they also need the discipline. Kids with no rules, kids with no discipline, that's not loving them. That's, that's neglect. James Dobson says this, you want to love your kids the best? Love God first and love your spouse before your kids. If you love your kids more than your spouse or more than God, you will crush them and you will kill them. You'll make idols out of them. They need godly discipline, love and discipline, discipline and love. They don't belong to you. You know that? If you hate that, they don't belong to you. You're just a steward. You're a steward for a short time to lead them to God the Father. Dads, don't exasperate. Don't make it about performance and being good. I love you no matter what, but here's the best for you. Show them Jesus. Show them you love your wife, their mom. You love their, their dad, your husband. And that will change the, the world. And then lastly, sorry for my time, another, another line, landmine, another tough one. What? Slaves. Look at this. Bond servants. King James, poor translation, says slaves. Everybody's like, slaves? Oh my gosh. You know, t- today, uh, you know, black lives matter, white lives matter, ethnicity, it's, it's a turmoil. And that word is just, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hot button. But listen to what it really says. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. When you think of slavery, don't think. 1800, 1700, 1600, don't think African-American slavery. Don't think of the horrible history of our culture, of our country, with the sin of, of, of bondage where slaves were property. That's not what we're talking about here. The word slavery in the Greek is bond servants. This would have been in that culture, an indentured servant, uh, someone who had a debt they owed to a, to a family or to a business, and they would hire themselves to a family as a servant that they could pay that off. Anyone says that Christianity is about slavery doesn't know the Bible and doesn't know history. Christianic Christians, in 1838, William Wilberforce, a believer, put the first abolition of slavery rule into the English parliament. Christians did not reinforce slavery. They ended it. Know your history. Don't let people slam Christian faith in the wrong way because they're not being accurate. Bond servants. Today, what's the connection? Bosses. Supervisors, employees. Paul is saying, marriage, got to be like Christ. Family, do you look like, at work, do we look like Jesus Christ? If you're in charge of people, do you realize that Jesus Christ is your, is your CEO, he's your boss? Are you working for him? Do you go to church and involved in missions and involved in ministry, and yet your employees think you're a jerk or a hypocrite or a horrible boss? That's not serving Christ. 
Are you a good employee? Am I a good employee? Do I bad mouth in the, in the, around the water cooler in the, in the break room? Am I putting down my other employees? Am I talking bad about my boss? It says work as if you're working for Jesus. Work as if you're serving the Lord. It would be like if we took Jesus, instead of just keeping Jesus here, took him to the workplace, took him to the, the school room, took him to the business, the CEO. It doesn't matter how much Christian jewelry you wear or how much you try to witness to your friends or invite in the Bible studies. If we're not working as if in the Lord and good employees, it's meaningless. Martin Luther King said this about regardless of what your job is. He says, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will say, here lives a great street sweeper who did his job well. Are you doing your job the best so that people don't have to wait for you to badger them about Jesus? They're going to ask you about Jesus. Are you loving your employees so well and serving them that they see Christ? That's where we submit to the Lord. And here's the ending challenge. I love this. Whatever you do, marriage, singleness, work, volunteer, boss, CEO, whatever, here's the key. Do with all your heart as working for the Lord, because we are. He's the only one that is really, at the end, it's going to matter. Not for human masters, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as reward. I don't know about you, but wouldn't it be great when you get to heaven, your salvation's not, and then you're standing there in front of Christ, he will say, well done, faithful and true servant. Way to have a marriage that's Christ-centered. Way to, way to raise your children. Way to love your parents, who, who are tough, maybe. Way to, do, way, to do, way to bring Christ into your work force. Well done. That's what I want. In closing, in marriage and family and work, how can I serve the Lord? What does it look like to submit to one another? What's a picture? Christ loved the church so much he died for her. Do you know anybody like that? I know one story I'll close with. Thanks for your patience on time. Seven years ago, a couple came to our church, started coming to Gap. In their early 30s, beautiful, gorgeous couple, sweet woman, young man, they were getting involved in our church. They had been really ministered to by Richard and Sharon McDonald's uh, marriage. They started coming. And one December, Lisa and I got a phone call. They were together at the mall. And all of a sudden, she just stopped and fell over on her face. They rushed her to the hospital. Her brain had exploded, a brain aneurysm. Dr. Paulus worked on her, worked on her, had removed brain matter, saved her life. But she would never be the same. And for the past seven years, She's been incapacitated in a skilled nursing home in Lubbock, Texas. Gentlemen, how would you handle that? Is that a little bit worse than burnt food or someone being late? Or ladies, how would you handle that? For seven years, Cody Kirby goes up every day and spends time with his wife. They have dates. He brings her flowers. They watch movies together. They celebrate holidays together. He loves her. He's been told, give up, you've done your job. He's been told it'd be okay if he moved on. He's had women try to date him. He's had Christians say, go ahead and move on. But he won't do it because he knows that scripture, love your wives as Christ loved the church, that you would die for her. How are you treating your wife, guys? Like that. Ladies, how are you treating your husband? Parents, 
How are we taking care of our kids? Are we laying our lives down? Kids, how are you treating your parents? They would die for you. Are we dying for Christ at work? Submit to the Lord. You want to change the world? Change your marriage. Change your family. Change your work. Submit to Christ. Amen.